Hey friends, welcome back to the journal feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and this is the only place to get spoon-fed the latest and greatest of emergency medicine. We are trying to keep you up on the literature and make that as easy as possible by spoon-feeding you all of the research. So let's take a quick look ahead at everything that we'll be covering from this past week. First, when the heart explodes, what are the best ways to pick up a ruptured AAA? Second, deadly delays due to the duration until admission. Fourth, clear as mud recommendations for the treatment of diverticulitis. Fourth, will that trauma be for here or to go? Helping EMS make up their minds. And lastly, a finger on the pulse or forget that and just put a probe on it. Now, if you're hearing this, then you are not currently a Journal Feed subscriber and so will not be receiving the full Journal Feed podcast, only receiving a portion of the past week's articles. Don't worry, though, I pick my favorites. But if you would like to get full access to the podcast and blog, then you can become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org. Remember that we don't ever want money to actually be a barrier to patient care, though. So if you're having any trouble affording a subscription, please reach out to us and we'll help you out. This is the audio version of the past week summaries, which this week were brought to you by the crazy Vivian Lay, Dendrick Cooper, Andy Hogan, Megan Breed, and Clay Smith. And so we're going to skip right off to the second article. Titled Association Between Delays to Patient Admission to the Emergency Department and All-Cause 30-Day Mortality out of the Emergency Medicine Journal. Now, I like to tell myself that the reason that patients don't stick around in the emergency department isn't because they don't like me, and it's not because I'm a bad doctor. It's because they're going to get better care if they get admitted and get the heck out of there. Which actually kind of makes me sound like a bad doctor, but inpatient medicine is a different game, and you can't really do both. Specialists are specialized. So what happens when that admission is delayed? This study was a cross-sectional comparative retrospective observational study conducted within a large NHS database of all patients admitted to the hospital from emergency departments in England over a two-year period until March 2018. Times were measured from the arrival in the emergency department to transfer to an inpatient bed. The primary outcome was death from any cause within 30 days, which occurred in almost 9% of this cohort. To assess for changes in mortality, they used a standardized mortality rate, with just a ratio you get by dividing the observed number of deaths by the expected number of deaths. So numbers above 1 would mean that there were more deaths than what you expected. Doing this, they saw that mortality rates were higher for patients spending more than 5 hours in the emergency department, and mortality rates increased linearly after 5 hours, reaching 8% higher than expected by 6 to 8 hours and 10% higher than expected by 8 to 12 hours. And when I say 10% higher, I mean that the mortality rate increased from like 9 to 9.9 .9 and not from 9 to 19. Now, if you were to work out the number needed to harm, that number would be 82 patients. So of course, this study does not show causality, and there are confounders present, but either way, it seems clear that whatever is keeping your patient in the emergency department longer is increasing their risk of death. I work in Canada, though, where average wait times can be more than 5 hours before you even see a doctor. Not sure what this data really means for me. In a spoonful, this large observational study demonstrated an increase in 30-day all-cause mortality when door-to-admission time was longer than 5 hours. And then hop over to the fifth article. Femoral artery Doppler ultrasound is more accurate than manual palpation for pulse detection in cardiac arrest out of the journal Resuscitation. A resuscitation is often a very busy place, probably busier than it has to be pretty frequently. Enough so that it can be hard to even get a hand on the patient to check for a palpable pulse. It can be difficult to even get there. 
Never mind that it's not always easy to feel a pulse even in the best of times, let alone when the patient has, so let's call it a generous body habitus, and you're in a high-stress environment. For these reasons, manually detecting a pulse has been shown to only be 63 to 94% accurate. Not amazing. And who are the experts I ask you at palpating pulses? Well, of course, it's vascular surgery. And you know what they do when they can't feel a pulse? They use an ultrasound Doppler to detect the pulse. What you think? Could we use our ultrasounds during an arrest to detect pulses? This trial was a prospective cross-sectional partially blinded diagnostic study on 54 patients totaling 213 pulse checks to compare Doppler ultrasound against manual palpation for the detection of a pulse during cardiac arrest in non-trauma patients. Patients were only eligible for this study if they had a femoral arterial line in place, which kind of cuts down your patient population, but we only care about whether or not we could detect if a pulse was there, so it's fine. All measurements were done by emergency physicians at the femoral artery in the short axis. Alright, Doppler ultrasound was more accurate at detecting the presence of any pulse. I'm talking like 40% more accurate at 95%. There was, so there was no competition on that measure. But palpating a pulse means something more than just that there's a pulse there. It also means that the pulse is strong enough that you can feel it. So Doppler ultrasound was less accurate and less specific at predicting when a pulse also came with a systolic blood pressure over 60 millimeters of mercury. Manual palpation was better on both those fronts. Ultrasounds are smart tools though, so you can calculate the peak systolic velocity of any pulse you find, and with that, values over 20 centimeters per second was found to be the optimal cutoff in this study for pressures over 60 millimeters of mercury systolic. Alright, my takeaway is that Doppler is great at finding a pulse, but it might not be very good at necessarily telling you when you have a clinically relevant pulse. It's another data point which is available if you need it though. However, in this trial, the presence of a Doppler pulse despite a pressure that was less than 60 systolic could have led the team to prematurely stop chest compressions, and that's never good. In a spoonful, a Doppler ultrasound in the hands of an emergency physician used on an arresting patient was more accurate at detecting a pulse than manual palpation, but it did not necessarily mean that they had an adequate blood pressure. And wrap up time. From the second article, I'm not saying you need to hurry, but patients who spend more than five hours in the emergency department before being admitted had a higher 30-day mortality rate, and it just goes up from there. And then from the fifth article, remember to treat the patient, not the monitor. A Doppler ultrasound better predicted the presence of a pulse during an arrest, but it was less accurate and less specific than manual palpation for a pulse with a systolic blood pressure over 60. Links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, and remember that the newsletter is the best way to make this podcast into a bite-sized nugget of space repetition. If you're feeling some FOMO, or you like what you hear and you want to hear 250% more, then come over and join us at the members feed. Become a member and subscribe. Our goal here is to provide better patient care through spoon feeding, and so we're trying to help you keep up with the latest research one spoonful at a time. Thank you.